Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Barely in her 30s, Brianna Sinclair's life is the stuff operas are written about. For starters, she happens to be the only operatic soprano in the world who was transgender. Born in Baltimore, Brianna made her way west, graduating from the California Institute of the Arts, where she earned her BFA and where her transition began. There were some challenging times between graduation and her acceptance to the San Francisco Conservatory of Music on scholarship and where she received an MFA. Brianna's operatic performances include Carmen, La Callisto, The Old Maid, and The Thief, The Magic Flute. And in 2015, before a crowd of 30,000, Brianna sang the national anthem at an Oakland A's baseball game, the first transgender woman to do so. She made her debut with the San Francisco Symphony on New Year's Eve 2018, also a first. Brianna has performed with LGBT and other nonprofit organizations, including the Gay Men's Choruses of Washington, D.C. and San Francisco. Other performances include her debut at the Walt Disney Concert Hall with the L.A. Gay Men's Chorus and the Americans for the Arts, Washington, D.C. and Toronto Pride Festivals. There is so much to talk about. I want to meet and get to know this powerhouse, Brianna. Welcome and thanks so much for joining me. Yes, thank you so much, Sandy. What an honor to be a part of this. Okay, Brianna, we're going to go back in time. You grew up in Baltimore. Talk to us about your exposure to classical music. I grew up in a very musical family, actually. Um, my father actually plays about seven instruments. He plays the organ, percussion, electric guitar, banjo. So he played a couple of uh, instruments and he was also a singer. He was like the real good singer in my family and my grandmother. So they were both like really great singers. But my grandmother, she was, I don't know, she was very captivated with opera and classical music. And uh, I remember when she would babysit me, you know, I was such a bad child and I was very noisy and I was very talkative. And so she uh, would take me to operas at the Lyric Opera House in Baltimore. And that was the only thing that actually calmed me down and quieted me. And I saw my very first opera, which was, I was about five, six years old, and at the Lyric Opera House in Baltimore, and we saw Madame Butterfly. And I remember that experience changed my life. Um, just seeing the costumes and the music and the orchestra, and just seeing how all of that put together was just so magical. And so, you know, growing up being African-American and an African-American family, you know, she introduced me to a lot of African-American opera singers, like Jesse Norman, Leontine Price. And, you know, I know it sounds cliche, but that's what she introduced me to. And it fascinated me. And she already knew that I had a voice because, you know, I started singing in the church choir around five and people, you know, really lost their minds when they would hear me sing. And I didn't know that you know, I had this gift. I just sang. I just didn't think it would be such a big deal. But apparently those around me saw something in me that I didn't as a child. So I'm so grateful for my grandmother because she loved high art. And it is just amazing that um, now I'm here today and she's so very proud of me 
And, um, and she was the one that drove me to my first classical lesson at New Shallow Baptist Church, but it was in connection with Morgan State University. And Nathan Carter um, gave me my first voice lessons at the age of 12. I'm very grateful. Because you were on a path at a very young age. I would be hard-pressed to think of anybody who took a five-year-old <laughs> to see opera, for God's sake. But also, while this was going on musically, you were experiencing other things internally, were you not? Um, yes. So, Jessie Norman just passed. She is a world-renowned soprano, mm-hmm. and everyone knows who Jessie Norman is. Of course. And she is my idol because... Number one, her voice was incredible, incredible. Her musicianship was impeccable. She kind of resembled me a bit because we're both tall, big women Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, with big voices. And so she kind of got me through the very dark, um, through the dark stages of my life as a teenager and stuff. And so, and I was, I know you were saying I was dealing with something and, and that was, I was dealing with my gender. And I think, People get confused between gender and sexuality because it wasn't that I was gay or um, I was confused with my sexuality. It was more of a gender confusion. Mm. And uh, it was very hard because, you know, my family, they were very religious. My grandmother, she wasn't like, I mean, she would go to church, but she wasn't, I didn't think she was that religious. I think she really let me express myself mm-hmm. with her when I would hang out, when she would babysit me. Um, um, because her her youngest son just is gay, and so he came out at 18. So I think she was kind of, you know, a little bit laid back. But in regards to my father, his name was Brad, and my previous name was Bradley. And he would always call me junior and because I was the firstborn. And so I would do things to him that seemed very infeminine in his eyes. And so in that case, he would uh, beat me. He beat me a lot. He abused me a lot. And it was very hard. He abused me for quite some time from like five till about like 14, 15. I mean, he would grab me, throw me to the room and he had, he, he, had these belts um, that he would use to beat me. Oh, they had like stones, little designs and things. And he would specifically use those belts to give me scars. So I could remember those scars. Oh my God. So that um, I would not show any type of feminine mannerisms. I'm curious, was your grandmother your father's mother or your mother's mother? Yes, yeah, so my grandmother was my mother's mother. Uh-huh. Um, my grandmother's name is Kathleen, uh, Kathleen Bowen, and she is the mother, my mother, Elmira Bowen. So where did your mother factor in this? My mother, I think she let that fly, slide a little bit. I think she wasn't, I mean, she, she looked concerned, and she, I, I mean, I think she knew what was going on because I always wanted to play with dolls. My obsession was Ariel from The Little Mermaid. Um, I used to, <laughs> so Ariel and The Little Mermaid, she would comb her hair with a fork. And so I would go in the kitchen, grab a bunch of forks, and I would comb my hair with a curly, with my curly fro in, in my room with the forks. Uh-huh. But then it would be Ariel. Uh-huh. And my mother caught me 
<laughs> with all the forks. So she's like, where's all the forks in the house? Where are they going? And so I had them because, you know, <laughs> I just, I thought I was a princess and a prince would save me. And so she saw that a lot in my childhood, but she loved me. Um, I, she loved me unconditionally. And, but it was very hard living in a Bible Belt home because um, she, at the same time, she did enforce a lot of biblical tactics and religious views that totally were opposite of, you know, who I, who I am and how I was feeling. So you have this very traumatic, fraught childhood, and you were able, apparently, to escape into your own world, whether it was through your grandmother and music or in your own head. And then I read that you enrolled with your grandmother's help at the Baltimore School of the Arts. You had to get accepted there, didn't you? Yes. And I think this was the first part of actually my mental and emotional escape. She wanted me to audition for the program, the voice program there. My mother was actually on board because she just said, I just want my child to just be focused on something, get an education. Because my mother was very focused on education. She really wanted her children um, to have kids. She really wanted her children to have a strong education. And so Boston School for the Arts, was it's kind of like the sister school of the uh, um, like the New York School LaGuardia School for the Arts LaGuardia High School yes yeah like the same school so they're like the sister schools so and it's very hard to get into Boston School for the Arts and I auditioned <laughs> I auditioned with the sun will come out tomorrow by Annie and uh-huh. my grandmother helped me. And I've rehearsed it so many times, and I killed it. I, I didn't think I'd be able to sing that song, but I was strong and powerful. And when I sang in front of the voice uh, studio teachers and the pianists, they were kind of blown away. And then it was like, we would love for you to come back uh, for our callback round. And so that was just, I felt like when they said that to me, and I I just was, I felt like I was free. And when I walked into the school, I just saw all these dancers and artists and, you know, young students my age, you know, doing what I love to do. You were in a safe space, huh? I was in a safe space. And I knew from that moment, I'm like, I have to be here. This is the only way I'm going to escape all this abuse from my father, you know? But, and then I got, I got accepted. We got the letter. My mother was crying. My grandmother was crying. But my father did not want me to go to the school. And he said, he specifically said to me, I do not want you to be in a classroom full of fags. And Aye. that's what he said to me. Aye. And he was trying to push me not to go to the school. But my grandmother was like, no, no, our child needs to go here. It's one of the best art schools in Baltimore. And so thanks to my grandmother and my mother, I should say, they let me stay. And what happened to you upon graduation? Yeah, it was a four-year program. So during the mid, so my junior and, I'm sorry, my sophomore year, my junior year at the Baltimore School of the Arts, I went to the Tanglewood Institute. Um, and that was amazing. And I was studying as a tenor. And it was really hard for me because a lot of the students, 
would say to me, your voice seems like it's a bit higher than, than a tenor voice. Like, have you ever thought about singing countertenor or like soprano? And I just kind of brush it off. But now, since I'm like developed and I've grown so much in my voice, I'm starting to see like that this was totally meant to be. Mm-hmm. And people saw it before I did. How were you dealing in those high school years with your sexuality? Were you still conflicted? Were you still confused? Yeah, yeah. So, it, you know, it wasn't anything dealing with sexuality. It was just more of like, I just felt like I was supposed to be one of the girls. Like, I just didn't feel like singing tenor, even though they were training me really hard to be a tenor, because I was tall. I was, I think in high school, I was probably, I was almost six feet at that time. Wow. And mm-hmm. so, you know, in the opera world, everyone loves a tall tenor. <laughs> so, <laughs> And I knew when my opera coach looked at me, Robert Cantrell, he was my uh, voice teacher at the School for the Arts. He was really pushing me to be this heroic tenor because I was a high tenor. I could sing those high C's and those high D's with power and strength. And, you know, they were really pushing me to do that. And I was just in the background, I'm like, this really sucks. Like, I don't want to do this. But I learned so much because, you know, when you learn those vocal skills, you can always transfer them to any voice type. But and I was very grateful that, you know, I got on my music history training, my music theory training and everything. But I was really able to express myself. Like I fiddled around with makeup in high school. And I remember when my parents picked me up, you know, I, um, I would throw the makeup, lip, the lipstick and the contacts away and wipe, wipe it off my face. My father did kind of look at me and said, why are your lips look a little, look a little red, reddish? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was terrified. Yeah, he couldn't let go of that, apparently. Again, let's go back. What happened after you graduated? Where did you go? So I applied to several schools, and I actually didn't get into any of them. I applied to Manhattan School of Music, Juilliard. Um, what else? Boston University. I didn't get into any of them. And so a girlfriend of mine who was close friends with my mother said, why don't your son at the time um, apply for Bible college? (laughs) Why? And I didn't tell anyone this story, but um, her friend was like, he can be a part of the music program and he could still get his music, but then, you know, you know, he could still keep his religious foundation. So <laughs> I didn't tell anyone this. This is something that I, this is the first time I'm actually telling someone. And really? I'm telling you, Sandy. Really? About what <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, auditioned through a friend's suggestion to a Bible college in Sussex, New Brunswick, Canada, and it was called Bethany Bible College, uh, which is now, I think, New Brunswick University. It was torture. I applied and I got into their music program and I was leading music worship and, and all types of stuff. And it was the most horrible and challenging year of my life. And I said, I couldn't do this anymore. I couldn't. And what I remember specifically, um, I think at that time there was MySpace, which was like before Facebook started to branch out. Right. There was this social web page called MySpace. And so that was a way for me to express myself. So I would put on makeup, wear like a cheap wig and just, 
try to look feminine as much. Um, we'll put that on MySpace. And so a student at the Bible college saw that, told the authorities, and I was suspended for a month because they said that my behavior was unacceptable. But at the same time, that whole MySpace thing that I was dealing with, that was the only way for me to actually come out right. what, of what I've been struggling since I was five years old. So I was suspended for a month. And then um, my mother decides to move to Canada <laughs> because my mother kind of had this, she sort of had this idea of that my, her, my brother and I will create a church. And that was her idea and that's her dream. And I don't want to disrespect her dream. But that was her dream for us. But I, that wasn't the dream that, that I you shared. Right. Yeah. And so she moved to Canada, and um, which was amazing. Had she divorced your father? Yeah, she, she divorced. So my mom and my father, they divorced when I was about 12 years old mm-hmm. um, because he was badly abusive. And just to say he was a rolling stone. So there was other women uh. that he, he was with and other children. She moved into this beautiful it was like a beautiful house that she moved into with my brother. And um, I was on the computer and, you know, and I was searching schools in California. And so California, no lie, California Institute of the Arts was the first school that popped up. And so I read through it, read through the voice program. And during the summer um, in Canada, it, it would get scorching hot because it was on the east side of New Brunswick. Um, I would cut people's lawns um, to make money. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to cut as many lawns as I can. I'm going to save this money. And I put it in a jar, actually. And I hid the money for my family. And I applied to the school. Um, one of the students and his wife had like a recording studio underground. And I record all of my music for the audition, for the video, the video CD audition for the California Institute of the Arts. I use my grass money that I saved up as my application fee and also my traveling fee, which I'll do um, after that. And I applied to the school and I got accepted. And um, it was a leap of faith for me, but I knew that this was, I had to get out right, of this. Right, right this whole religion idea and everything that they want it needs to be. My God, what a determined, feisty, young (laughs) person you are. And you get accepted and you say to your mother, listen, I'm out of here. Is that basically what happened? And you moved blind (laughs) to California? I did. So, So my mother said something to me when I got accepted. She said, I will not pay for your travel and I will not pay for your schooling. So you're going to have to figure out a way to pay for school. And so I did. I applied to every scholarship. I got a scholarship from CalArts. I applied to every loan that I could. I did everything that I could to make this happen. Uh, My mother didn't have the, the funds to buy me an airplane ticket from Canada to California. I took a Greyhound bus. Uh, It was $120. Uh And I took a three-week Greyhound bus to California, Sandy. And I think those three weeks was kind of me shedding. Honestly, it was very spiritual for me because it was like I was shedding all of this stuff. My father's abuse, 
you know, my gender issues, my sexuality issues, all of, I was just shedding all of that. And I felt like this was the time for me to really break free. And I was really breaking free. And it was the hardest three-week travel, but I learned so much about myself on that Greyhound bus, and it was terrible. I'm sitting here listening to you, Brianna, with my jaw dropped. And boy, I told the truth when I said your backstory is the stuff operas are written about. Holy shit. Um, wow. So it was during your time at the California Institute of the Arts when you began your transition. And how did exactly. that happen? And how did you know how to do that? Who helped you? Who was there for you? I met my first trans person in school. Um, actually, I met two. So Our Lady J, um, she is my trans mother. I call her my trans mother. She is the writer for Pose. She's one of the writers for the new FX show Pose. Oh, sure, and, sure. Um, yeah, and she's my trans mother, Our Lady J. And uh, I we met um, when she came by my school, and we had a trans awareness week. And I opened for her and she performed and we just connected. And then there was a trans, a trans male, his name was Keen, an amazing guy. He transitioned from female to male. And he was the one, um, we talked at a college party and he was the one saying like, you can go Florida, you know that, you know, you need to get your therapy. You can do your hormone transition. If you want to do that, it's really up to you. And I was so fascinated. I'm like, oh my God, I could actually do this. So. We had a therapy program at CalArts, which I'm so thankful for. And um, I had therapy with them my first three years uh, with the therapist to really sort things out in my life and to really make sure that this is what I want to do. And I was like, I really want this. Like, this is something that I've wanted since I was a child. And so she wrote my therapy letter. King went with me. King drove me to the doctor's office. I got screened. And then I got my first set of hormones my junior year at CalArts, and it was on Halloween because it was our Halloween party. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember <laughs> it, was me and a, it was me and a couple of friends, and we went to Vaughn's Grocery Store in L.A., got my prescription, and my friends were, like, dancing in the parking lot, and they were crying. You know, people at school were crying. I, I really, my school really supported me. So I'm just so thankful. And um, I was technically the only trans person transitioning in the voice department. Um, we did have a couple other trans folks in other departments, but I was the only trans in the voice department. What year was this, Brianna? So yeah, it was around 2011, yes, because I started my master's degree in 2012. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's so much to talk about here. So you graduate. <laughs> but did you assume that you were going to continue on academically or you were were you going to hit the ground running and audition for roles? What was what was going on? Well, OK, so my junior year at CalArts, um, yeah, my junior at CalArts, I didn't tell I. I was homeless. Um, so I was supposed to do... When you, wait a minute, wait a minute, years. wait a minute, wait a minute. Your junior <laughs> year at Cal Arts, you were homeless? Yes. Why? My, the summer, my, my... Well, okay, so let me tell you this. So um, I saved up money to go to New York to study with an opera coach. And so we were, 
emailing each other monthly or whatever. And so when I arrived to New York City, you know, I was in the early, early, early stages of my transition. My names aren't changed. Like I still had two, my two different names. And um, I sent an email to the vocal coach in New York City. And I said, um, I just want to let you know, I arrived to New York City. I'm staying with a friend. Um, I'm very excited for my voice lessons, and I just want to let you know that I'm I'm transitioning right now. I'm in my early stages of transitioning, and I'm singing uh, some mezzo arias or whatever. And Sandy, I didn't hear from him after I sent him that email. So you came then, all the way east to hook up with this person to be trained, yes. and 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 he leaves you in the dust. Correct. And I, cause my, in my mind, I really wanted to audition for Manus or Juilliard for my master's degree. And so I really wanted to focus on getting these lessons. What's the next step for me? What areas do I need to learn to get ready for the next step? And so he just, he totally disregarded me. So then I was staying with two people, it was a straight male and, and a lesbian. And so the straight guy told my lesbian friend, um, that I, I, we cannot have her here because I'm uncomfortable with this whole transitioning thing. So I was looking for jobs in New York City because I needed a plane ticket back to California in September to finish my senior year at CalArts. And I come back to the apartment. All my stuff is in the trash can. My suitcase is in the trash can everything outside and this was in Harlem everything was all my stuff was gone so I was crying I couldn't get a job because, oh my god you know I was in the early stages of my transition and I had two different names and technically I could say I was discriminated against um even though I had a great a work resume and so I was living on the street for three months in New York City with a purse and two dresses and you were just, you were home. I mean, listen to me, I'm stuttering. You just lived on the street with nothing? Yeah, nothing. And the, also the thing was, my father didn't want to help me. My mother was actually sick. She had lymphoma cancer that year in 20, 2010 to 2011 and 2012. So she had lymphoma cancer. So I couldn't, I didn't want to call her because she was sick in the hospital, badly, badly ill. And everyone in the family, you know, didn't want me to come back because they were just confused about what was going on with me. And so they just left me dry. Um, And out of respect for my mother, I didn't want to call her and tell her what was going on because she was sick. She was really sick from cancer. But I would call her every now and then with like some prepaid phone just to make sure she's okay and to tell her that I love her. And I just never told her anything about New York. I didn't want her to, her to get worried. Oh but yes, God. I was homeless. I did um, some sex work because I needed money. I, I was hungry. All the shelters were full. Um, and uh, I was raped and abused <sighs> a couple of times in New York City. Um, I was beaten up by three guys. when I, I went to a bar in Chelsea and... They took me to an alley and they they both beat me and sexually raped me um, in the alleyway and just left me dry. And um, it was, I think that experience in New York City really taught me that this is the world that I'm going to have to deal with. 
mm-hmm. as being trans. Like this is this is the reality because I was so in this magical world at CalArts. You know, I was protected. Right. Protected me. I had right. therapists, teachers. Like I was protected. You I were safe. Loved. And then when I get out to New York, I'm like, this is what this is the reality. This is life. Yeah. How did that end? What happened? <laughs> yes. I know. I know people are like this is crazy, but I'm telling you, these are <laughs> these are true events that happened in my life. Um, I, who the hell would make this shit up, Brianna? <laughs> And so, so I was like singing, you know, just humming on the street and I was just singing an aria that I learned at CalArts. Um, it was, uh, uh, the Roger Quilter, I think it's Roger Quilter, Sweeter Than Roses. And I was singing that and I was humming that because I always felt that my singing helped me through dark times and it helped me keep my mind off of the pressures of life. In situations, and so there was this guy who was an older gentleman, and he heard me sing. He heard me, and he was like, "Wow, you have a beautiful voice." And I was like, "Thank you so much." And I told him my story, and I'm trying to, I'm like, I'm trying to go back to California to finish my my last year of school, but right now, I, you know, I've been trying to find a job. I'm really, I'm actually homeless right now. And he was like, "Well, you know what? I see something very special in you." So he pulls out his check book, writes me a check of, I think it was a thousand dollars. And he says, I want you to buy a first class ticket back to CalArts and I want you to finish school. And here's my tech, my phone number. And I want you to text me your degree and to let me know that you're okay and that you graduated. And I used that check. It was like sometime in early September. And I got my plane ticket and I left New York, settled back to CalArts, got into my dorm and finished my last year. I am just gobsmacked. I mean, and this is only <laughs> some of your backstory. All right. Okay. So you, you get your BFA from California Institute of the Arts. Did you immediately go to San Francisco Conservatory of Music? No, I actually... I was, my plan was, when I graduated from CalArts, um, I roomed with a couple of folks um, in Valencia, California. And actually, I just wanted to take a break. Honestly, I just wanted to take a break from singing. I just, I had to figure out everything for myself, you know, like just my personal stuff, just trying to get my name changed, trying to figure out the transition. There was other things I wanted to do physically to be my full self. Um, and uh, I was like, I don't think I can sing. I just need, and also I was still, the whole New York experience was traumatic. <laughs> and I was still dealing with the trauma of what I was going through in New York City. And um, it really gave me thick skin to deal with anything in this world. Like I can handle anything now. Just living in New York City, I learned a lot. And I love New York. Don't get me wrong. I love New York. Wait a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You can live through everything. You did live through everything. You scaled Mount Everest and then some. Yes, yes. And so um, my very best friend, Benjamin Ginsberg, he's an incredible pianist, um, lives in L.A. He sends me an email out of the blue. In the email, it was saying that they were taking spring enrollment for the San Francisco Conservatory Music for the master's program. 
And he was like, Brianna, you have to do this. I really want you to get your training. You have an amazing voice. Please, please. I'm like, no, Benjamin. I'm like, I'm done with music for a bit. I'm trying to take, but he was like, no, you're going to do it. So <laughs> Benjamin applies for me, huh. puts my name in, on and everything. He applies for, puts all the arias that I will have, I will sing. Like he did everything. Paying for the application fee. I get an email that says, congratulations. The San Francisco Conservatory of Music would like to invite you for a live audition at this time. I said, no, oh my goodness. And I got that email out of the blue because I didn't know he applied for me. Oh my God. I'm like, are you serious, Benjamin? Like, for real? Like, what? And so he comes by my apartment and he goes, Brianna, are you ready? You got all your stuff? We're we're driving to San Francisco. So we go to his sister's house because his sister was living in San Francisco, Stephanie. (laughs) We stayed over there. And then he drove me to the audition. And there were practice rooms. So we practiced all the arias. This was like literally technically all last minute. We practiced all the arias in the studio. And then I did the audition. And I got accepted. Same day. (laughs) Wow, 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 wow. And they gave you a scholarship, apparently. Yes, they gave me a scholarship. Um, so it was very interesting because when I auditioned, I had two different names. So I had my old name because I, I, I didn't change it yet. You know, I didn't right. change my name just yet. Had you completely transitioned by that time? I didn't get any surgical things done, but I was a little bit far along. I was about two years of my transition. So my, I, was really, I was really starting to feminize with my appearance a lot. Than I was when I started. Um, I was I was rough when I started. I will tell you, I was a hot mess. That's all I can say. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, so yes, yeah, so I remember when I sang the voice studio. They were like, "Wow, wow, your voice is really amazing." Wow, and I was like, "Thank you so much." And my teacher Ruby Pleasure. Well, she was my teacher after the audition. She said she was like. Um, she's like, is there a reason why you have two different names? And I'm like, oh, Lord. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yes. I said, you know, I am in transition and I really want to go to the school and I really want to grow in my music and my voice. And I just hopefully y'all will take me and I hope this doesn't remove me from going into this school. And so they all just got quiet. (laughs) So then Ruby, (laughs) so then after the audition, Ruby was like, can you come to my studio? And I was like, sure. So she takes me to her studio and she just starts vocalizing me and she starts, and she's like, wow, you have an incredible range, blah, blah, blah. We just started chatting. And she said to me, she said, I'm going to take you in, but I want to tell you this because I respect you. And I said, what Ruby? And she said, I'm going to train you like a woman. I'm going to respect you as a woman. You will be a mezzo soprano right now, but we don't know where your voice takes you because you have a lot of, you have so much range. Um, she says, I'm going to start giving you some arias now before, this, before we start school. And I just want you to look over those, go to the library, study them, start listening to female opera singers and how they sing. And she really believed in me. I mean, I have never in my life thought this woman would take me under her wing. She was like my second mother because, and the weird thing was she, she looked just like my mother. She huh. was five, five foot two, African-American woman, gorgeous voice, like just, and it was weird because I felt like my mother's spirit was inside of her. Wow. Oh, and so she took me under her wing for three years and she made sure 
that I did every opera workshop class. Because, you know, there were certain teachers that didn't want me to do a specific class, but she fought for me. She fought for me for three years. And she gave me an extra year at the conservatory because she felt that I needed it because I just started singing mezzo immediately after CalArts. So I had to retrain myself because I, tr- I was trained so long to be a tenor that I had to relearn my entire voice again. So I was going to do baby steps while all my peers were singing you know, Johnny Skiki and they're, they're singing, you know, Strauss and all this stuff. I'm singing Italian art songs in a little Italian book. No offense, but that's normally the beginner, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. beginner repertoire book. But I was like, I was in the beginning and I was terrified because I'm like, I hear all these students, you know, they come from very well, most of them come from very wealthy families that have been to all these summer programs all this coaching and they sound incredible. And I'm here like, oh my God, like I have so much to do. I'm like, why am I even here? And I was terrified. And those three years was was very rough, but I also developed a community of people that supported me and that loved me and that embraced me in my transition. And I have tons of stories about that as well. Clearly your decision to pursue opera was not only supported your extremely talented. And I'm curious, did the hormones that you have to take, that you had to take, impact your voice? No, the hormones didn't do anything with my voice. It didn't, I, I naturally had, because I have a four and a half octave range, I naturally had those notes. They just needed to be developed and strengthened. But estrogen doesn't change the voice. Testosterone does. It actually lowers the voice. Yeah. Um, and it changes your voice drastically. Um, I've, I've seen female to male um, take testosterone and testosterone, and dramatically their voice will go from like really high pitch to like more of a baritone sound. But no, I, you know, it was funny because Ruby said to me in um, on an election, she said, uh, she's like, you have a gift because you know, I've worked with countertenors. I've worked with male sopranos. She said, there's something unique about your sound. When you sing and I close my eyes, I'm listening to a woman when I hear you sing. And that to me was kind of like, oh, okay, good. So, Brianna, you spend this time at um, the San Francisco Conservatory of Music and you graduate. Let's move in yeah. to the professional part of your life. How easy or difficult or soon did the roles start to come? Or was this another mountain that you still had to climb? Um, so it was a mountain I had to climb, but I feel like I'm, I'm going to continually be climbing this mountain. But I know at the end of the day, it's about me being a musician and an artist and a great musician and really hone on to those skills and just be authentic, I think, being who I am. But Interestingly, the reason why people knew my name or how they knew my name was when I did a fundraiser, a concert, um, to raise money to pay for my breast implants um, because I wanted to get uh, breast. And um, I did a concert at this place called Stuff on Valencia Street. It's this antique shop on Valencia. And that was my very first job in San Francisco. Uh, And we would sell antique from all over the world. It was like a very popular chic antique shop. And it was extremely popular. It's still popular today. Celebrities even go there to the antique store. 
And so the managers, they were gay men, and they transformed the upper level, the second floor, the antique shop, because it was two floors. And they made it into a little concert space so I could do this concert. So, so many people came because I, I met my friends, people that I knew in San Francisco. It was packed. We had at least about 200 people at the concert. And um, I did this concert to raise money for my implants. And I raised, I think, $10,200 and I was able to get my breast surgery. Good and it was funny because <laughs> the title of my concert was called From Bach to boobs <laughs> and, <laughs> and so um we had a jar and you know and so I did a full two-hour concert to raise money I said I I was like I need to use my gift so I can like get these surgeries and so that's how my name started to you know to go out in the world it was on like the chronicle it got onto KQED people were like who is this person who is this person and, and then that's when the Oakland A's opportunity came, came up because someone read me in an article. And then for you know it, like, I've just been doing gig after gig and performing since. You obviously were able to get an agent. Yes, <laughs> I did. Yes, he's amazing. We actually just signed last year. And now I'm studying at the SF Opera with Sherry Greenewald. And she's incredible. She's a world-renowned opera coach, Sherry. And she's been coaching me. And now I'm a soprano. I'm a dramatic lyric soprano. And she's been testing the limits of my voice and my range. And um, I've just been singing a lot of soprano repertoire. And she's even, my vocal coach, she's even, like, blown away at, like, the strength and power of my sound. And she really wants me to go forth with this. She said, this voice has to be heard, you know. Well, Um, apparently she's been working with me. Well, I also referenced the fact that you made your debut with the San Francisco Symphony back on New Year's Eve of 2018, also a first as a transgender woman. This was obviously huge. Yes, it was. I am just still I'm actually still flying high from that experience because I would never thought I would be singing with an orchestra at with with a world-renowned orchestra at that, with the San Francisco Symphony. Like, it was just mind-boggling that I was this homeless person, didn't think that I would get out of my homelessness in New York City to be walking across the stage, a packed, sold-out stage, singing um, the Moncreux Supra à hopefully my French. I still only half of my French. And um, from Samson and Delilah. And... Um, and uh, somewhere from West Side Story, and I sang those two arias. And it was just such a memorable experience. And people stood up. I got a standing ovation. Um, I, I was not expecting that response. But I'm very grateful and thankful and that they chose me to sing uh, with the symphony. So it was a very historic moment. What is it that you aspire to? What do you want to do now? So I really want to start doing state, more stage opera work. And I've been doing a lot of concert work, but also I want to travel. Like I want to do like concert stage work in um in London and in Vienna, you know, with you know with the Vienna Orchestra. You know, I want to really just brought my music and show the world that like just me being trans is not 
you know, it's not an issue. You know, I'm here to sing the music, sing it well, and, and sing with authenticity. And so, yeah, so that's what I really want to do. I, I, my dream role is to play Tosca. I really want to play Tosca. I love the opera Rosalka by Dvorak. And I, my dream is to play Rosalka because I've been obsessed with mermaids since I was a child. Right, right. And Rosalka is a nymph mermaid. That would be like a dream come true to play Rosalka. I would, oh my God, dive into that role like nobody's business. <laughs> um, and Carmen, I really want to play that on a larger, on a larger scale stage in, in the opera company. Yeah, I really want to take my music abroad. You know, that's kind of been a goal of mine. I want to do a couple of albums and stuff like that. I do want to dwindle into musical theater. Um, you know, because my voice has the strength and power, you know, to sing female roles in musical theater. So, yeah, I really want to take that to the next step. I'm curious, Brianna, how do you feel about being described as a transgender woman? Is it attached to you all the time? You know, I don't let it bother me anymore just because, you know, I, I want people to know that I'm a musician that happens to be trans, not a trans opera singer. You right, know what I mean? Right. Like, I'm an opera singer that happens to be trans, and I want people to see that that distinguished, that difference. And I just hopefully there will be a day that we don't have to ever mention my transness, but we can mention how I deliver the music. And that's the most important. And also the, the number one thing of being an artist is that we are giving to the audience. I always think that performing is not a, people are just like, oh, it's the glitz, the glamour, the money. And actually, no, it's not. It's actually a servitude. We're serving. You know, when we use our gifts, we are technically elevating the audience to a place that they don't normally go, they don't normally listen or see or hear in their daily lives. And so that's my job as a musician. I want to touch lives. You know, I want my voice to touch folks all over the world and also trans folks, you know, who want to do this type of music. You know, it's about blessing folks with your gift. And I want to bless folks with my gift. And that's just kind of been my number one priority as an artist. Brianna, what you have given me and clearly our listeners is just absolutely extraordinary. I feel honestly so blessed to have been able to have a conversation to meet you. You're just inspirational. Forgive the gushing, but it's all true. You freaking blow me away. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I you know, it's such a, first of all, I'm just very grateful to be alive. And that's the number one thing. There's been so many trans killings in this world and it's very scary. And I'm just very grateful that I'm alive to, you know, share my gift and, you know, let the world know that we do matter, you know, in this life. You sure as hell do. Brianna Sinclair, thank you so much. I wish you joy continued success, happiness, and the world is a better place because of you. And we're going to end this fabulous conversation with a sample of Brianna Sinclair. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. (laughs) 